This is Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. Jonathan Edwards once said that this is the best thing ever written in any language beside the Bible itself. Hello and welcome to Theology on the Go. I'm Jonathan Master, joined by James Dolezal and joined remotely by one of our favorite guests, Dr. Joel Beakey. He is a very prolific author, president and professor of systematic theology and homiletics at Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary, pastor of the Heritage Reformed Congregation in Grand Rapids. And we're interested in talking to him today about a translation work that was undertaken recently by RHB. And it's a translation of Volume 1 of Van Maastricht's Theoretical Practical Theology. This is the Prolegomena volume. And so, Joel, thanks for, thanks for joining us to talk about this. Great to be with you. Thank you. Dr. Beakey, as we think about the publication of some of these Reformed scholastics and 17th century Dutch Second Reformation authors, um, I wonder if you could just make a, a few comments about the importance of this uh, translation publication project uh, with Van Maastricht's Theoretical Practical Theology. Uh, maybe putting it this way, um, why do we need uh, another translation of a 17th century Reform theology, uh, and why this one in particular? Right. Well, Petrus van Maastricht has always been regarded as a major figure in writing solid reform theology uh, over the centuries. But the problem has always been the work is so massive, so much is involved, and it's so challenging to translate that people with good intentions in the past have abandoned the effort. Even though Jonathan Edwards once said that this is the best thing ever written in any language beside the Bible itself. So a high that, a high praise indeed. <laughs> <laughs> incredibly high praise. Yeah. So Edwards thought the world of it and so did many of the the old divines who could readily read the Latin of course. And so it was translated into Dutch and actually now is being retranslated, a fresh Dutch translation, which shows you the importance that the Dutch hold for this work. But it's just high time that this work is done in English. So what happened was I presented this. I, I sit on the board of an organization called the Dutch Reformed Translation Society, and I presented it to them. Now, they were keen to do it because of the... Uh, rich Dutch heritage flowing from the Maastricht, who, after all, was a professor uh, at, at Utrecht for, for many years. And uh, so they, they said yes to the project. And so then we got people on board to, to translate Todd Rester and Michael Spangler, and they in turn pass it on to me, and I do the English editing. And it's a, really a conjoined effort, not it's not just Reformation Heritage Books, but it's also Dutch Reformed Translation Society. So they pay for the translation efforts, and then we at RHB take it from there and pay for all the typesetting and printing and so on. So 
there was certainly a reason why Edwards uh, commended this to Bellamy and encouraged him to to fork over the money <laughs> to purchase it. If if you, Joel Beakey, were to commend it to pastors and students today, not that we're going to put you on the hook to say uh, the same thing Edwards said about it, but if you were to commend this today, uh, what are a few things you would say about the strengths of Ben Maastricht's work in particular? Um, because uh, Edwards contrasts it to Turretin's work, and he doesn't insult Turretin's work. He commends Turretin's work particularly for its uh, polemical detail. But in terms of uh, a sort of comprehensive body of divinity, he clearly likes uh, Van Maastricht more. How would you commend this to pastors today? Why should they be reading Van Maastricht? What benefit are they going to get from it? Yes. Well, the Maastricht is, is a step above, I think, because of his four-pronged approach to doing all of dogmatics or all of systematic theology. So what he does in each section, he has first an exegetical part. So he goes straight to the Bible and says, this is the doctrine. These are the proof texts. So here's, therefore, what we believe. And then he develops that into the dogmatic section and says, now these doctrines are what flow out of the scripture. So he does the real work of systematics, collecting the whole of what scripture says about every teaching and then bringing it into dogmatic presentation. But then he has what he calls a clinic and practical part in which he applies this doctrine to the soul and to the daily life of the Christian. And it seems to me that the best dogmaticians and systematic theologians of former centuries uh, use something similar to this approach, where there's much more application in the Maastricht than in Turretin to the soul, to the experience of the soul, tasting the sweetness of these doctrines, and then how does it get exercised? How do you use it in practical life? So, you know, the Dutch Further Reformation was really a parallel movement to English Puritanism. So, what the Maastricht is doing is something similar to, say, what Samuel Willard would do in his um, exposition of the Westminster uh, Shorter Catechism in, in, in following the exegetical dogmatic, and then experiential and practical applications. And in this way, I mean, I, I'm imagining this is why Edwards was commending it, is for the use of the pastor who's called not only to teach, but also to to exhort and to instruct. It has a, a more obvious value in that respect. And not that Turretin was saying that that was what he was doing. Turretin's very clear that his is, his is an elenctic, polemical theology. But this one seems to have that pastoral flavor that maybe some others that are available to us don't. That's right. That's right. And the Maastricht not only does this throughout the entire dogmatics, walking through the the regular Reformed loci, but he also has attached to the end of the dogmatics what other systematicians did of, of Dutch persuasion in that day, where he takes what he calls moral ascetics as well as piety. And uh, the last volume, volume seven of this set, is, is actually titled Morality and Piety. And it, it's, it's a pretty hefty volume in which he's explaining, now that you've learned all this doctrine, this is the way a Christian ought to live, and this is how he ought to exercise godliness. So this is not only running throughout the entire work, and especially at the conclusion of each chapter, but there's a whole separate section as well 
about living living the Christian life. Now, he does all of this in a very dignified, a very scholarly way that yet is approachable by educated laymen. I'd say that the average layman in the pew would probably find this, this set of books a bit daunting. It, it is rather challenging. It does use scholastic method and so on. But it's not as challenging as people might think it to be at, at, at first sight. If you actually start reading through it, he, he's really quite understandable. And his goal, all theology, is to, to make you live unto God. Live unto God. What you believe impacts how you live. And therefore, in his definition, theology is living to God. Yeah, I wanted to I wanted to press a little bit on that definition because when I've used his definition in classes or presented it to students, they have found it very arresting. Theology is the doctrine of living for God through Christ. Is that uh, as you've had time to reflect on it and as you've taught theology for many many years, do you think that does capture the essence of what theology is or how we should think about um, our study of theology? Absolutely. I'm, I'm 100% on board for that because theology, the study of God, is always meant to include all of creation and man himself and the church and the last things. But it's all meant not just to permeate our heads. It's meant to impact our hearts, our affections, and to put our hands and feet into action as well. And that's what both the English Puritans and the Dutch divines of that parallel period excelled in. I mean, the other major work in the Dutch series of systematicians was done by Wilhelmus Abrakel, only he did it particularly for the layman. But he does the same thing. He has the same kind of parts, and he always has a concluding section at the end of each chapter on how you put this into practice. So, the idea was particularly strong in the Dutch. In fact, the Dutch wrote more systematic theologies than the English did. And what was particularly strong was this whole idea that theology ministers to the whole man, to your head, to your heart, to your hands. And to be a really thorough Christian, totally dedicated to God in Christ, really you need to know theology. And theology is something which, of course, they're borrowing that from, from Luther already, who said, doctrine is heaven, because doctrine, by these things, men live. And we, we not just, don't just embrace these things intellectually, but we do emotionally, affectionately, practically, experientially. It impacts our whole being. It's such an important corrective because... As you know, many people criticize the study of theology. They say, well, you, you, maybe you need to do a little bit of that, but it'll be careful, it'll dry you out, or, you know, even going to seminary, well, you have to watch out because, of course, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make your faith um, really sort of shrivel up. And uh, it seems like this is, a, this is, he's saying exactly the opposite about everything that theology is. Correct, correct. But that's the fault. That's the fault of some Reformed pastors, in part, as well as some Reformed professors, who have kind of cultivated this idea that, by their own practice, that theology is something mainly for, for the head and not for, for the heart and for the hands. And I think that, that's, that's a tragedy. And that's maybe one reason why Pentecostalism, charismatic movement, has gained as much ground as it has. But the old way of doing Reformed theology always involved the whole man. 
I think of this as similar to the uh, complaint sometimes that the Reformed tradition doesn't pay enough attention to the Holy Spirit. And I'm thinking, but no, the Reformed tradition has has such an emphasis upon the vital activity of the Holy Spirit. Uh, if we were to if we were to pay heed to it, um, Doctor Beaky, with this volume in particular, the first of uh, of the projected series of N. Maastricht on prolegomena. What can the reader expect uh, in brief uh, in this treatment by Van Maastricht? Yes, well, there's a couple of things that are very important from, from, from the get-go. First of all, Van Maastricht, in his first edition, has a little separate section of about 40 pages. I mean, it is so succinct. Every sentence carries a lot of weight, which he calls the best method of preaching. So what he wants is he, he wants to tell you from the get-go that all this theology is designed to help make a preacher a better preacher as well, to reach the full needs of all his people. And so it's called the best method of preaching. He, he deals with all kinds of things, uh, how to do introductions, how to rebuke, how to comfort, how to uh, expound truth, how, how to handle lengthier texts and things like that. So that's an interesting way to begin a dogmatics, tying it to, to preaching. Also, in this in prefatory material, you'll find just a wonderful summary of his life and work and um, his funeral oration. So there's, there's interesting pieces about Ben Maastricht that kind of whet you for whet your appetite for what's to come. Then in the actual body of the work, in the prolegomena, he, he does several things. He looks at um, the nature of theology, the method of theology, then defines theology. Then he, he looks at, of course, the doctrine of revelation, focusing particularly on Scripture and how we can know God. So it corresponds pretty closely to what we call prolegomena today. And then he concludes by looking at the various parts of theology, which he calls the, the distribution of theology. And then in volume two, he'll take off from there and do a classic volume on God himself, the triune God. It's titled, actually, Faith in the Triune God, because he's, in a sense, he's a, hmm. speaking anachronistically, a bit of a presuppositionalist here, and uh, he sees the necessity of faith in the Triune God just to understand God. So that volume, by the way, I am editing the English part of it right now. That's been entirely translated. hopes to come out in uh, April, the Lord willing. So we're hoping to do one volume every nine months or so. Dr. Beaky, thanks for all your work on this, and and thank you for pushing this project. I, I can say to all our listeners, I, I used excerpts from this book just this past semester with uh, 17 and 18-year-old students in an Introduction to Theology class. Very helpful, as I said, at, at times very arresting to them in a good way, and so definitely would commend it to our listeners, and, and thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. As always, I'd like to remind you that we are dependent on the generosity of listeners like you to carry out the work of this podcast and the work of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. If you are able to donate to the Alliance, you can do that at AllianceNet.org. There's a donate button there or at PlaceForTruth.org. Also, for any of you who might be interested, if you go to PlaceForTruth.org, click on the Theology on the Go link, there will be a place for you to enter to win a copy of Theoretical Practical 
Bible Theology, the prolegomena volume that we just spoke with Dr. Beaky about today. It is very worthwhile. We we have a limited number to give away, but it, you can certainly enter for a chance to win this. And if you don't win, I'd encourage you to pick it up. And again, thanks as always for listening to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. <laughs>